A couple of weeks ago, we finished the, one of the major sections in the, the book of Genesis. If you were with us, we finished up the section that, that is bracketed by the life of Isaac. Uh, much of the section dealt with J- um, Jacob, his son, but it was Isaac's life that bracketed that. And I've decided to take a break from Genesis before diving into what really is the final section of that book, the section that covers most of the Joseph stories. My plan is to take a break from that and work our way through the book of Zechariah next. But I don't want to start that until after Labor Day. I've got a vacation coming up. One of these Sundays planning to be gone. Uh, Lord willing, by the end of this week, we'll have another grandbaby. So that's a good reason for us to be gone. We also have um, our, a mystery dinner on the final night of, of August. So there's a number of things messing our our normal sequence of things up, so I've decided to wait until after Labor Day to start a, a series through Zechariah. So we have a couple weeks here in August that I decided to fill with two psalms. Back, back in 2016, we went through the first book of the Psalter. Some of you were here during that time. And during that series, there were two psalms, Psalm 26 and Psalm 27, that I had Pastor Ben Hobbiger preach. I was away on vacation in the summer. I had him just take the next couple psalms as our associate pastor at that time. Ever since then, I've wanted to study these two psalms. Every year when I go through my Bible reading, I come to these two psalms and I don't have notes on them. They're they're not as rich because I haven't studied them. So I've wanted to study these two psalms ever since that time. So I decided to do that now. Covering them helps me fill this gap in in my personal life, and I'm sure that it will be beneficial to you too. These are psalms that God has given us, so I think they will prove useful to us. God's word is powerful, it's effective, it's good for us to look at. Each psalm, as I'm sure you know, is largely independent. As we look at the Psalter, there's places we can see some kind of organizational intent as, as the Psalms are arranged, but by and large, they're, they're independent of each other. There's not really links between the Psalms. Many of the Psalms in the early part of the, the Psalter, the, the first, there's five books that make up the Psalter, the first book, many of those Psalms are David's Psalms, they're attributed to him, at least that's what the superscription that... that you know, the, the thing that's above your psalm, the title there, that, that's usually what we find in many of these. Um, that superscription is historically preserved by the Jews, um, may not be part of the inspired psalm, I don't believe it is, but it's been around for a long, long time as their preserved history. In some cases, from the psalm itself and what's in the superscription, we can begin to to speculate what might have been going on in David's life when he wrote this particular psalm. But that's not the case in our psalm tonight. We don't have enough information here to really speculate what might have been transpiring in David's life when he penned these words. What we can tell is that David was facing trouble from people who were trying to convince him to go along with their evil actions. That doesn't really limit things very much. When evil people around try and entice you to go along with them, that that happens a lot. Even in David's life, that popped up quite often. It doesn't really narrow down the historical circumstances for us. I'm sure David had that challenge many, many times, just like we do. In fact, If you think about it, most likely you have had at least one or two times in in the past month where someone has tried to entice you to go along with something that you knew would not please the Lord. 
Maybe it was something as minor as encouraging you to watch a, a TV show that included immoral scenes. Maybe it was a suggestion to, to lie about something at, at work. Just don't tell the truth. Possibly it was a suggestion to skip out of work early. The boss will never know. You know, most of these things feel minor, but we know they displease the Lord. We also know that the moment we resist, the pressure and the opposition will start increasing. Because simply by refusing to go along, we have begun to call out sinful behavior in others. We call out that sinful behavior simply by resisting and not joining in with the action. David faced many of those kinds of trials. There were people who enticed him to join in their sinful actions, but as we'll see, David resisted. And through his resistance, we can learn an important lesson, an important lesson that, that will help our lives of faith as well. Integrity allows us to live life joyfully praising God. That's the lesson we can learn from David this evening. Integrity. Integrity allows us to live life joyfully praising God. Integrity. That is the main word tonight. Integrity. The, the dictionary defines integrity as the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. Well, there, there's an element of that idea in our psalm th this evening. But the dictionary gives a second idea as well, a second way of defining integrity. It goes on and defines integrity as the state of being whole and undivided. That's actually closer to the idea that we should have in mind as we look into the psalm this evening. David will book in this psalm with the idea of integrity. He, he will protest his integrity. He, he will say he has integrity. And, and the Hebrew word that he uses means wholeness. It, it's the idea that, that what we see at, at one time in a person's life is what we'll see at another. When we take this set of circumstances and we see how the person behaves, if we go to a completely different set of circumstances, we will see the same thing. There's a wholeness to his life. He's the same person all the time. That is integrity. Let's take a moment and read Psalm 26. David writes, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I shall wash my hands in innocence, and I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed, in whose hands is a wicked scheme, in whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on the level place in the congregations. I shall bless the Lord. Integrity. Integrity allows us to live life joyfully praising God. That's the lesson that, that the psalm puts forth. Yet, for us to understand this principle, let's put it into the proper biblical sense that David means 
by, by this idea. And the way I think we can do that this evening is to find there's really three ideas that I want to understand from these verses about integrity. First, understand integrity may generate trouble. Integrity may generate trouble. Clearly, David is in trouble as he writes the words here for the psalm. The very first two words are a cry for God, or cry out to God for vindication. Vindicate me, Yahweh. Vindicate me is one word in the Hebrew, and Yahweh is the next. Vindicate me, O Lord. Yahweh, the covenant God, the God that I have a relationship with. Vindicate me. The, the word that David uses is the word that literally means judge. Judge me, Yahweh. David's calling out to God to judge. He wants the judge of the universe, the sovereign, holy, righteous judge, to pronounce judgment between David and others. David's anticipation is that, that when God judges, when God judges between these two complainants, so to speak, when God judges, he will declare, David is innocent. The others are guilty of wrongdoing. Judge me, O God. Vindicate me. Why can David call out for that? Why? Because he protests that he has walked in integrity. For, because I have walked in my integrity. I know that the NIV translates the end of the first line of verse 1 as blameless rather than integrity. But, but that's not really the best translation. The, the Hebrew word, as I said, means wholeness. Wholeness. David is not claiming faultlessness. He's not claiming blamelessness. He's claiming consistency. He is consistent he knows that when God examines him, God will determine that David has been consistent in his moral actions. Not only consistent, but David's consistency is one that resists sinful patterns of others. He resists wicked behaviors. He walks with integrity. Which is where we find this first idea. David's integrity has not kept him from experiencing difficulties. He's not been excused from suffering because he's walked with integrity. He has not avoided hardships because he's pursued God. No, the, the reality is that his consistent pursuit of God has generated trouble in his life. His efforts have apparently brought forth all sorts of false accusations, slanderous attacks, and just all-around general opposition as we read these verses here. By, by standing apart from those who, who want him to join in with their sin, it's done nothing but generate trouble for David. It has not kept him from it. Integrity is the source of David's problem. And this is a point that I really think we need to take to heart. I fear that too many of us believe, or at least we behave as if, if we expect that our lives will be trouble-free. We, we think that if we're doing what we ought, if we're following Christ with our lives, if, if we do as we know he wants us to do, then, then we ought to be able to skip through life without any complications. Now, most of us probably would not state that kind of idea. When I look around this room, most of us are fairly biblical literate. So we, we would not state this. We know that we can't come up with a chapter and verse that, that says we won't have problems in this life. Still, deep down, 
An easy Christian life is our expectation. Why do I say that? Why do I say that we think that way? Because I know how quickly most of us start to grumble whenever we encounter difficulties. We grumble about the infirmities of aging. We grumble about the challenge of not having enough money to, to buy whatever we might have a whim to buy. We grumble about the shifting moralities of our society. We grumble that, that we're now a Christian minority in our country. We grumble. But sadly, many of us also keep our head down while we're grumbling. We, we keep our head down so they won't attract much attention from the world when we grumble about what's going on out there. In fact, the reason we grumble about some of the things, like aging, is so that we'll fit in with our neighbors. They grumble about aging, we grumble about aging, we, we're, we're one and the same, right? Friends, integrity, Christian integrity, has a great chance of generating trouble. If we find that we're living a largely trouble-free life, we, we should probably check our integrity. Is there a wholeness in our lives? Is our church life matching up to our work life? Is our church life matching up to our relaxation life? Is our church life matching up to our home life? Is our church life matching up to our thought life? Does our church match life match up to the rest of our life? Is there a wholeness to us and an integrity? We can expect that, that we, when we live in a sin-filled world like we do, lives of Christian integrity will generate trouble. Integrity allows us to live life joyfully praising God. I'm still convinced that's David's main point, but, but let's not forget that the psalm begins with the idea that integrity may generate trouble. It allows us to praise God. We'll get there. But it begins with generating trouble. Moving on then to a second idea. Number two, integrity ensures our innocence. It ensures our innocence. Sure, David's integrity has generated trouble. It's the reason that he's had these complications, but his integrity is also the reason that he's able to call out to God for vindication or judgment. Vindicate me, O Lord, because I've walked in my integrity, or for I've walked in my integrity. As a man of integrity, David knows that, that he's not wavered in his trust of the Lord. He says there at the end of verse 1, he trusted without wavering. The idea there of without wavering means that without any false steps. In other words, he's never slipped in his faith. Living in this sin-filled world can be like walking on ice. But David says, I've never slipped. Now look at verse 2. David boldly calls on God to examine him, to try him, to test him. In fact, test him in both his mind and his heart, the core of his being. That, that verse is a clear statement of his innocence. God, examine me however you want. You'll find the same thing. David has no doubt that, that when God judges, God will determine that he is in the right. He, he knows that, that he is, has not sat with deceitful men. He is not associated with those who are pretending to be pious or righteous people but yet aren't really that way. He's hated it 
when those who boldly sought to, to do wicked assembled with each other for wickedness. In fact, the impression that we have when we look at these verses is that David's steadfast refusal to join with these groups, as I said, is what led to his problems. Still, because David had, has lived such a life of integrity, he has no doubt of his innocence. He, he's not pretending when he goes to, to worship God at the central altar. He, he's not fearful when, when he considers God's coming judgment. Instead, he rejoices when he enters into God's presence, when he comes before God's glory. It's a joy because he's coming in complete innocence before God. Look at verses 6 and 7. I shall wash my hands in innocence, and I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. Look at verse 8. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. And then look at the last line of the psalm. In the congregation, I shall bless the Lord. Do you get the impression that, that David enjoyed praising God? That he finds it exciting to go where he can worship God and praise God? He, he does not sound at all like a man who, who finds worship a, a dreary or, or a boring activity. Worshiping God is something that he anticipates, something that he looks forward to as a highlight in his life. Why? David's repeated claims of integrity. He knows that he is innocent before God because his life is a life of genuine integrity. So let's pause here and do some self-reflection. I don't remember if I mentioned it from the pulpit or if I just mentioned it to several people that I've talked to since then in conversation. When, when I spoke at the, the BFA conference last month, the, the Bible, the, the Baptist Fellowship Association conference, uh, I compared our church culture to what, what I experienced at the, at the conference. Most of the, the people there are members of churches that, let's just say, have a more expressive style of worship than we have. I explained, I said, in our church, we tend to look in our church gathering like a number of joyful telephone poles. There, there's not much move in, it, in our worship style. Uh, but, you know, upon further reflection, I wonder if I misspoke. Sadly, I, I fear that sometimes we maybe need to drop the joyful adjective from our description. There, there's no doubt we certainly look like a bunch of telephone poles gathering for, for worship. But, but how much joy radiates when we worship? Sometimes it seems like we reflect more duty than joy when we gather for worship. Now, now listen to me carefully. I, I, I'm not besmirching our tradition. Most of us come from traditions that, that do not have a lot of expressive joy and agreement. In fact, when I was at the conference, Dr. Clay said he, he knew I was right there with him when he was preaching because he looked over at me and he saw this slight smile on my face and a couple nods. He said, I knew you were there. He, he knows that's my expression of joy. So I'm not trying to say that we ought to change how we express ourselves. And let's not pretend to be something that, that's not natural to us. At the same time, allow me to say for anyone who's listening that has a more naturally expressive motive of expressing joy than I do, I, I hope you feel free to express joy when you worship. It, it, it's okay to say amen. It, it's okay to lift up your, your hands with tear-filled eyes because God's glory has grabbed hold of you. For some of you, that is your natural expression. It just isn't for me. 
we want to have joy when we worship. The, the point I'm trying to make is, is we need to examine ourselves and see if the real issue is that we lack joy in worship, period. Do we have joy? Are we lacking joy when we assemble before our God? Do we lack joy when we celebrate who he is and what he has done for us? This evening, we, we took the elements of the table. Are we filled with joy over the fact that our sins are atoned for? It's quite possible if we're lacking joy, it's because we're lacking integrity. Unlike David, we're not gathering with confidence that we are innocent before God. Yes, we are confident we're saved in Christ. We, we know that we're innocent in the sense that our sin has been atoned for. We understand our, our theology well enough to know that we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ and that does cover our sins, past, present, and future. We're, our sins are atoned for. Yet we haven't separated ourselves from the wickedness of this world. We, we haven't avoided associations that draw us away from the righteousness that Christ asks us to, to have. Rather, quite likely, we've indulged ourselves. We've indulged ourselves living a, a life that lacks spiritual integrity all week long, and then we drag ourselves into church and go through the motions of worship on Sunday. The only surprising thing, really, is that we are surprised that we lack joy in our worship. There should be no surprise if we're lacking integrity. As I said, self-reflection. Do you have joy in worship? Do you anticipate worship? Do you long for Sunday to come so that you can gather with the saints in worship? Do you have integrity Monday through Saturday? Are you living an innocent life? Integrity allows us to live life joyfully praising God. That's our overall lesson. The, the second idea that we extract from David's words is that integrity ensures our innocence. Number three, integrity assures God's faithfulness. Integrity assures God's faithfulness. I want to be careful with this point. It's important that, that you, you do not misunderstand what I'm saying. God is faithful. Hard stop, period. God is faithful. There's no doubt about that. God cannot be anything other than faithful. He is God. I know that. I want to make sure you know that. God is faithful. And for that matter, so does David. He knows that about God. Look at verse 3. He says, For your loving kindness is before my eyes. They have that familiar Hebrew word that shows up over and over again in the Old Testament, that Hebrew word chesed. Chesed. We, we encounter that word several times in Genesis. When we went through the first two books now we've covered of the Psalter, going through the first 72 Psalms over time, we found this word quite often. It shows up in the Psalms a lot. We find it in prophecy. Frankly, we find it all over the Old Testament. It shows up over 250 times, or right around that number. It shows up so often because it's a theologically rich word. The, the challenge is that it's also a word that's very hard to translate into English. We don't have a word to translate it well. We don't 
for one thing, have a single English word that, that captures the idea of, of this word. And then second, chesed, this word takes on its fullest meaning in the context of a covenantal relationship. Something that, that is not real common in our thinking. It's not near as common for us to think about a covenant relationship as it was Israel. Israel lived a covenant relationship with God as his chosen nation. The idea that's expressed by this word is a rich word. It's the idea that the God is loyal to those with whom he has a covenant relationship. He's so loyal that he will always move himself to act on the behalf of those he's in covenant relationship with. Whether they deserve it or not, that's God's hesed. He will do what's best for his covenant relationship with others, whether they deserve it or not. The, the best we can do in English is express this with words like loving kindness and mercy that capture some of these ideas, but, but the point I'm trying to make is that God has chesed. David knows that. He, he is a, a covenant loyalty, loving kindness. That's him. He has those characteristics. That, that means God cannot help but remain faithful to his covenant commitments. David knows this. So, so what do I mean by, by stating integrity assures God's faithfulness? God is always faithful. So what do I mean by this statement? What I mean is that integrity, integrity assures that we will be on the receiving end of God's faithfulness. In our New Testament parlance, we, we might speak of the assurance of our salvation. Integrity gives us the assurance. Salvation is entirely dependent on Christ's finished work. Our assurance that Christ's work applies to us personally, however, is affected by our integrity. When we have integrity, we know that we're on the receiving end of that. If we're living in a way that blatantly, repeatedly, and openly contradicts this profession of faith we made in Christ, we say we believe in Him, but we don't live according to anything He says we ought to do, well, a blatant, repeated, open contradiction of our profession says we have zero reason to have any assurance that his work applies to us. David knows that God is faithful. David knows that God has chesed. David also knows, according to verse 9 and 10, that, that when God judges sinners, when he judges sinners and wicked people, they will not stand. Rather, he says, their souls will be taken away. David does not want to be part of that group. Sinners and wicked are going to be taken away by God. That's part of God's faithfulness. He does not want to be part of that group. Instead, he calls on God to redeem him, to be gracious to him. The, the confidence is that, that God will do so because while there are many others who have given themselves over to evil, David has walked with integrity. Instead of joining the others, David has sought to publicly proclaim with a voice of thanksgiving and, and declare your wonders in the assembly, according to verse 7. That's what David has done. He has chosen to love the habitation of God's house, verse 8. His vindication will come when God does not take him away with the sinners. When he experiences the faithfulness of God blessing those who are in relationship with him. We, we lose the emphasis that David gives a little bit in our translation. But in verse 11, 
David states as emphatically as he can in the Hebrew that he has confidence in his integrity. Literally, he says, but I, I shall walk in my integrity. He has chosen to live in a stark contrast to these wicked over here. He says, they do these things, but I, I chose to walk differently. And because of his integrity, David is confident here in verse 12 that my foot stands on a level place. What a wonderful picture that phrase creates. My foot stands on a level place. Remember verse 1, he stated that trusting in the Lord means he's not taken any false steps. He hasn't slipped. He hasn't wavered. Now he's showing us that his stability, his sure-footedness, is not surprising because in his integrity has created this level place on which to stand. He doesn't have to worry about sliding around. His faith, his assurance is firm because he's done nothing to place himself on the wrong side of God's faithfulness to God's covenantal commitments. Remember, God's covenant with Israel contains two sides. Michael mentioned that last week when he, he challenged us from Haggai. There's two sides to his covenant. There, there's blessings for those who are obedient, and there's curses to those who are disobedient. For David, his integrity assured him that he's on the blessing side of God's faithfulness. Now, I trust we all understand our covenantal relationship with God is different than Israel's. We're not born into a covenant relationship with God like an Israelite child was. They were part of the covenant of Israel simply by being Israeli. We only have a covenant relationship with God when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. The cursed side of a covenant has been taken completely by Jesus. He has taken the curses that we deserve upon himself. We're left with the blessing of the new covenant. Furthermore, the, the ultimate blessing of the new covenant, our eternal salvation is assured, if not conditioned by, by our obedience or disobedience. Still, there are a lot of blessings in the new covenant that, as the New Testament expounds on it in its entirety, that are conditioned upon our obedience. Our assurance of salvation is one of those. The joy of our union with Christ is another. These things such as joy and contentment in this life, they are conditioned on our integrity, our living with Christ. To have joy in our Christian life, we must live with integrity in our Christian life. That is what places us on the receiving side of God's faithfulness to us in this life. That's why I can say that integrity assures God's faithfulness. Integrity is a requirement for experiencing Christian joy. Let's be honest. Let's be completely honest with one another. We have all had experiences of sin sapping our joy from our life. At one time or another, we've let sin have a time of victory in our lives, and our joy just goes down the, the drain. We, we're miserable people. And then we, want, we sit there and we try to, to deal with our misery by chasing more sin because sin holds out that lie that I'll give you the satisfaction. And we allow our sin to dominate in our lives, and pretty soon we are just miserable creatures. Actually, that misery is God's faithfulness. But it's not the side of his faithfulness we want to be on. God is faithful in that he won't let us go into sin without consequences. 
but we want to be on the other side of his faithfulness, the blessings that come through obedience. We need to have lives of integrity. We need integrity. Christian integrity. Living consistently for Christ. That is what will bring joy. Consistent living for Christ assures us that, that we'll experience the, the faithfulness of, of God through the blessings promised in this life, through the new covenant that we have with Him. Integrity assures God's faithfulness. Integrity allows us to live life joyfully praising God. Look at the psalm again. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. And I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Let your loving kind, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor do I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I shall wash my hands in innocent, and I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders." Oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed in whose hands is a wicked scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on a level place. In the congregations, I shall bless the Lord." Integrity allows us to live life joyfully praising God. Integrity may generate trouble. Integrity ensures our innocence. Integrity assures God's faithfulness. Tomorrow morning, a new week begins. We will go into a sin-filled world. By the time we gather a week from now, seven days... What will your life look like? Will your life be one of integrity? Will your life have displayed integrity? Will you have a week of joyfully praising God with your life? Will you be able to come back next Sunday with eager anticipation that you can stand in the, the congregation assembled and proclaim the glories of God? Will you gather for worship next week with fresh joy? Eager anticipation. Integrity allows us to live life joyfully praising God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm of David. We thank you for moving your man to write this. Father, we even praise you for the troubles that you brought into his life that he had to resist so that he could write these words for us. Father, we do not know why you bring troubles in our lives, but we know that you can use troubles in our lives for similarly glorifying purposes. So, Father, I pray whatever troubles may come this week, that you would help us to face them, resisting the, the pull of sin, resisting the, the, the temptation of evildoers, the enticement that may be before us. And may we be men and women who live lives of integrity, proclaiming through our lives our love of Christ. And may we gather next week with eager hearts, filled with joy that we can worship our Savior. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.